Fedorita, Nikita Korov, the Russian Nightmare, and you are listening to Wrestling for the Faith with Casey Cage. Stay tuned, or I come after you, Fedorita. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wrestling for the Faith. I'm your host, Casey Cage. Thank you for joining us today. And today, I am honored to be joined by wrestling legend, the one and only, the Russian nightmare, Nikita Koloff. Nikita, how are you doing, sir? Casey, I am doing marvelous. I appreciate you having me uh, on for the interview. I've been looking forward to it. Great to be here. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I, we're glad to have you, and uh, and I'm sure that uh, this is going to be a well-listened-to episode. Um, I know that there are some who don't know uh, too much about what you've been into since you walked away from wrestling, so I'm definitely wanting to get into that in depth. But I guess we could, we could start from the beginning – uh, another area that I just doing a little bit of research um, on your beginning that that kind of caught me by surprise uh, was I'm the, not from Russia. <laughs> well, <laughs> Moscow, <laughs> Moscow, Minnesota. Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah. Except except there's actually is a, there's a Moscow, Idaho, I think, but not a Moscow, Minnesota. But uh, anyway, <laughs> hey, by the way, I got to say this while I'm thinking of it. You, uh, one, I love the title of your show, but secondly, your your name strikes a memory from kind of back in my childhood. A, um, I, I'm not even sure what his title was, but his name was Casey Casey. He used to do the top 40 songs, you know? Yeah, Casey uh, Kasem. I remember that. Yeah, you. Uh, I just I thought I, I met you, Casey Cage. I'm like, man, it almost sounds like Casey Kasem. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> little side note there. It means nothing for your your listeners or your viewers. So you actually grew up in Minnesota. Now, uh, one of the things in my research uh, when I was looking into this, I found it very interesting that you were a part of the group of guys who came out of that that Robbinsdale area. Yeah, that exploded on the wrestling scene. Uh, <laughs> so. How exactly? Uh, how exactly did 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 your school years go? And and tell the listeners uh, who were some of the people that you were involved with during that time. Back back in the the early days of life. Yeah, it's you know I've been asked that a few times. Uh, man, what was it about Robbinsdale High School or Robbinsdale? I go well. I, you know, it's a land of 10,000 lakes, they say. So it must have been all the minerals in the water tower. I, I, you know, that, that's the only conclusion I can draw why we had so many guys out of Robinsdale High School. Um, but in, in, a, in a, a period of years, uh, a nucleus of guys, um, including myself, um, John, a guy wrestled as Nord the Barbarian, Nord the Berserker, John Nord, a guy that graduated after us was a guy named Barry Darso who might be known as uh, Demolition, a.k.a. Crusher Khrushchev, one of our, our, our partners back in the day. In addition to that, uh, who graduated before us, uh, Tom Zink, the Z-Man, Brady Boone, who was probably the, the lesser known of all of us, but he had a little run in the WWF and, and certainly with the NWA. And then two of the uh, other superstars that came out of that group were 
ravishing Rick Rude and Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning and five of us one year all played on the same high school football team. So kind of crazy. Now, Road Warrior Animal was also, uh, wasn't he in that group? He gets mixed in because his high school sounded similar. Road Warrior Animal went to Irondale High School yeah. in New Brighton, Minnesota. And and the, the irony there is, though, that I literally, uh, in college, I was part of the recruiting team. I literally recruited him out of high school to come play college football with me. That's how we became friends, the best of friends, and played uh, played a few years of college football together. Okay, okay. I knew that there was a, a close friendship between you and Animal. Um, yep. So where were you on your path in life when you got the call? Because from what I understand, you were uh, – initially not planning a career in professional wrestling. I, I wasn't. I mean, it, it, uh, it was not on my radar. I mean, it wasn't like I was oblivious to it. I mean, back in the day, we had what was called the AWA All-Star Wrestling with uh, Vern Gagne, uh, who owned that organization, who so happened to be, by the way, a graduate of Robbinsdale High School. But much years there earlier, uh, along with an announcer by the name of Mean Gene Okerlund. He was also out of Robbinsdale High School. Wow. Uh, yeah, kind of crazy. So, I mean, I was familiar with pro wrestling and, and in my college days, I actually worked out and trained at a little sweatbox gym in North Minneapolis called Ventura's Gym. That name might ring a bell. I wonder uh, who owned that. <laughs> yeah. Hello, the, the body, Jesse, the body later became Jesse, the mind governor Ventura. Yeah. But, uh, and, and so, you know, I was familiar with it, but from, from about the age of 12, my, my heart, my passion, you know, my focus was weightlifting, bodybuilding football. I lived, ate and breathed it all through junior high and high school on into college. So wasn't it Animal who called you to bring you in? Uh, tell us that story. I think I heard you uh, tell it on an interview, and I just thought that was very interesting and in how you uh, were presented your gimmick and, and all of this from uh, Crockett and those guys. Yeah, so I guess turnabout is fair play, right? So I, I make the call and recruit Animal out of high school, he makes a phone call. He, he didn't finish college. I, I went on and finished and graduated college. He, he dropped out. And, and next thing I know, he's, he's on the Superstation, you know, in Georgia Championship Wrestling. And, and, and I knew he was going through a camp. You know, he had, he had told me, him and some of the guys, uh, I think Rude Darso, Henning, a few of the guys were going, going through the camp. And, um, and then lo and behold, he's, he's, he's making a name for himself. And I got a random call one morning uh, from him introducing me to the idea, uh, the concept of a, of a nephew for Ivan Koloff kind of shared the story with me. And I said, I said, do they, do they know that I have no amateur wrestling background and zero professional training? Like I've never been to a camp, a school in a ring, you know, nothing. And he goes, yeah. And, and, so he goes, here, here, call this guy, Jim Crockett in Charlotte, North Carolina. He's the promoter. So I did. So I hung up. I called Jim Crockett and <clears throat> made sure he understood. 
no background in wrestling, you know, didn't dream as a child of being a wrestler. You know, this is my dream come true. It wasn't one of those stories. He understood that. And, and I, I'm like, and you're good with that? He's like, yep. And I, you know, what? I, well, then what's next? He goes, be in my office on such and such a day with your head shaved ball. I go, that's it. That's it. <laughs> and then I didn't have it. That was it. A five minute conversation. You know, there's no f- cell phones. There's no selfies. Uh, you know, it was just a conversation. I showed up the day he said to be there with everything I owned to my name, which wasn't much, and all the money I had to my name, which was not a whole lot. Walked in introduced myself and that day Nikita Koloff was born birthed and born in the hallways of Charlotte, North Carolina. Wow. That, that's a, that's a pretty cool story from, uh, from, from knowing what, you know, a lot of the guys go through to get in and, uh, yeah. man, you had a, you had a great connection in animal. Did you ever get in a conversation of, of what, made him think that you would play the perfect Russian? Well, well, Don Kernodo, who is Ivan Koloff's partner, they were the world tag team champions. So little, uh, just a little more backstory. Don Kernodo and Sergeant Slaughter were the ones who actually came up with the, the whole storyline of a nephew for Ivan Koloff. One to kind of extend his career, but I mean, they laid the whole thing out to Ivan. He liked it. They laid it out to, to Jim Crockett. He thought, well, you can find somebody. So literally, Don went to Animal and simply asked this question. One question. Hey, do you know any big guys who wouldn't mind shaving their head and becoming a Russian? <laughs> that, that, that was the question. And, and, and Animal, without hesitating, goes, I know the guy right now. And, 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 and that's when he made the phone call to me and told me the story. And I called Jim Crockett. Yeah, the rest was, as the old cliche goes, the rest was history. But that was it. Wow. Do you know any big guys who wouldn't mind shaving their head and becoming a Russian? Well, I definitely would have done that, for, especially for that time period and, and, and working for Crockett and, and that uh, opportunity at the, the money during that time. I mean, right, well, right place, right time. Now, well, let, let, me, let me speak into that just very quickly. When you, when you consider where wrestling's at today, it was not always like that. In fact, for your listeners, understand that back in those days, there were no contracts. We were paid by how many people were in the building, mm-hmm. whether there were 15 people or 15,000 people. We were paid, and Crockett had some kind of formula, you know, from opening match to main event. Uh, I never, to this day, never did figure out his formula, but apparently he had one, okay? (laughs) But our guarantee, you ready for this, Casey? Our guarantee was $50. Oh, wow. We'd make at least $50, even if there was nobody in the building. And out of that came our gas money and our food, our travel expenses, et cetera. That was our guarantee. Now that's that's pretty interesting. I know for me, uh, you know, uh, I've heard all the stories from a lot of the guys, you know, about the the forty and fifty dollar guarantee, and and you know, from back in the day. And I know, yeah. you know, when I was working, uh, when I moved up in the ranks on the independents, you know, there was times where you know, promoters and, and a lot of these, a lot of old school Tennessee promoters, you know, would call me and say, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll give you 40 bucks. And I'm thinking, man, 
but I, but I guess, I guess at that time, you know, the guarantee that, uh, that actually meant something. And a lot of those guys stuck with that 40 or $50 range. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, for those who aren't familiar, I mean, we're talking back in the days where there were territories all over the country, right? I mean, everywhere there, there was so many, you know, the Northwest with Don Owens, you know, world-class with Von Erichs, uh, you know, T- Tully's dad, Joe Blanchard had in, in San Antonio. I mean, you go, you know, Georgia championship wrestling, Florida champion wrestling, mid-Atlantic, mid-South, Tennessee with the, with the Jarrett's and, you know, Nick Coolis and St. Louis with Harley Race. I mean, they were all over the AWA with Vern, the WWWF with, with Vince McMahon senior up in the Northeast. So you could, you know, you could leverage yourself. And, and of course, obviously if you've made a name for yourself, you know, you could leverage yourself for, you know, a bigger payday as you made a name for yourself. But, but in those days, sometimes, you know, the, the, the crowds are pretty thin and so you at least knew you were going to get paid something, you know, versus nothing. And and there was a, a lot more work back then, too, as far as nightly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I tell you, if you're not familiar, I tell the story. In 1986, I had 454 matches. So you do the math on that. Well, let's see. There's only 365 days in a year. <laughs> How'd that work? We had some busy weekends. Wow. But you essentially work every single night that's correct i i wish that i would have had the opportunity to break in during that time um because that's always been my passion was mainly like the 80s wrestling i mean i i studied yeah. uh 80s nwa you know whenever i was breaking in that was that was always the stuff that i was studying i was always studying dusty and flair and you know all these great matches uh, during that time period. And that's, you know, when I talk to younger guys in the business, that's what I tell them to go back and study. Right. Right. Go back to the territories, go back to, to these guys and, and study this product. Yeah. And, and a lot of guys, a lot of some of the other guys I've talked to as well, uh, have voiced that very same thing, you know, that that's the era and the fans that I talk to call it the golden in their view, the golden era of wrestling. Yes. And most of them, based on what they've said to me, just don't, you know, they'll never see that era repeated in, in that way. But, um, but, but yeah, many, many of the guys in the business have voiced to me that very thing. They, that's what they've not only did continue to study, they continue to study. Right. So you come in and they slap this Russian nightmare gimmick on you. They put you in the car with Ivan and Don or, or how does that work? Yeah, immediately. The first, the first day, the day I walked in the office doing a cut and interviews and we did about six or seven hours of, of interviews. And of course I, I, I didn't talk cause I, you know, I'm right off the boat. I'm, I'm, I'm straight, straight from Russia off, off the Soviet liner. Uh, and so Brock is to take your shirt off. I haven't put your chains around his neck. Anytime they do an interview, I want you on the set with the shirt off, stand there, look mean. I thought, all right. And, 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 I'll, and we didn't even talk money. And I was just like, oh, and I get paid for this? Okay. <laughs> um, and then we finished and they said, be in Raleigh, he, Crockett said, be in Raleigh, North Carolina tomorrow night in the Dorton Arena. You're going to wrestle on television. So I'm going to debut on television having never been in a ring. Wow. And, and, yeah. I talk about. Talk about thrown into the fire, so to speak. In fact, I talked to Don Cronodo just a few weeks ago. And every time I talk to Don, he's like, he's like, just blows my mind that we just, 
just threw you in there. But he said, but you pulled it off, man. You pulled it off. So, so yes, that for the next two plus years, I traveled with Don. It was just me, Don, and Ivan typically or basically, uh, especially the, at least the first year anyway. And I know, I know that there was a lot of knowledge that you soaked up during that time. I know I, I've told guys, and a lot of the guys don't get the opportunity as much as as much as they used to. But I know, you know, for me, a lot of the guys when I first started who took me under their wing, uh, I learned more in the car rides on the way to the towns than than I did in actually in the ring training. Well, yeah, well, we would do. So we would do that. Then I had on the job training after my debut, my 11 second win on television, you know, then for the next two, three months, Ivan Don and I would get to the towns two, three hours early. They'd bump and thump all over the ring, teaching me the mechanics of wrestling. I'd have a very, very short squash match uh, with one or two opponents. They'd have a world title defense of their belts, their tag belts. I'd sit in their corner. Ivan would sit in my corner. And then every night on the way home, we discussed old school psychology mm-hmm. and that's where, as you're referring to, I really gleaned one to be able to watch their match and observe it sitting ringside. And then secondly, talk about it on the drive home every night. And fortunately I was, uh, I guess a fairly good student and, and teachable and coachable. Yeah. Uh, I know I didn't get to, uh, I didn't get to know Ivan too well. I know that I had talked to him. Uh, I was running, uh, Global Wrestling Ministries in uh, 2015, and I had him booked to come in and and do autographs and and give his testimony. And mm-hmm. the the event that we had him booked on, there ended up being a snowstorm, so we had to postpone it. And then in the process of trying to reschedule with him, his health started getting getting bad and. And then yeah. he eventually passed away. But just the, yeah. the communication that I had with him, I mean, he sounded like a really great guy. Yeah, he's uh, he's quite a story. And, you know, we can get into as much as you want to get into it. But he he had quite quite a quite a life journey. And, and of course, I was fortunate to be a part of, of his uh, of his transformation as far as uh, from from his life in, in the wrestling world to becoming a Christ follower and and inviting him to a revival service where where like literally he did a complete 180 and man the last number of years of his life you know went on to become an ordained minister and just really impacted a lot of people's lives and he was as much an uncle to me as any uncle i had so when people say was he really your uncle i'm like well he wasn't tv lamb but really he was he was outside of the ring best of friends and 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 like an uncle to me right now, what exactly was going on? Uh, I can't remember if he had told me or if I, I, I watched it in an interview with him. But I, what exactly was going on with him at the time? How did you reconnect with him? Or did you, you never lose contact in between that time that you left wrestling and, and then when you invited him to the, the revival service? Yeah, we, we always, because of the relationship we had built, we we make maintained a connection even even post my wrestling career even though he continued on and being involved in it you know we maintained uh, that that relationship and 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 then once he you know once he came to the revival and and came forward to the altar and surrendered his life to the Lord from that point on 
we then saw each other more because we started doing, we started tagging, tag teaming for Jesus. We started, you know, speaking at different churches and outreaches and wrestling things, you know, different events. And so we, we kept in more, even closer contact. And anytime I got up his way, you know, he would say, or we would talk on the phone periodically. I pray for him or he'd ask how he could pray for me. And, and then his wife, Renee, you know, when he passed, asked if I had a very small, discreet graveyard, a graveside service, asked if I would speak, you know, at, at a service course. I was honored to do that. So that's that's pretty cool. So uh, back to your time in Crockett, you were you you come in as the Russian nightmare. You like you said, you're you're doing these uh, squash matches and then you and Ivan are tagging and. How exactly did it happen that uh, I know it was somewhere around the time that Magnum had his car accident? How exactly did it happen uh, that this big hated Russian uh, decides to be the partner of the American dream, if you will? Yeah, it's uh, I didn't know about, you know, again, this is back in the days before cell phones and lots of communication. I was in Japan. Uh, I think I was on a two week tour in Japan when when uh, when Magnum had his wreck. And my first night back was in Philadelphia and Jimmy Crockett and, and Dusty pulled me up, pulled me into a room. It was just the three of us. And they were telling me about Magnum's accident. And of course, you know, wrestling's a work, right? So I'm like, yeah, whatever. I mean, it it it, it took him a while to uh, truthfully convince me that no, we're we're like being serious here. I mean, he broke his neck. Looks like he's going to be a quadriplegic the rest of his life. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like wow. And and so Dusty had made a lot of genius, or you might say, brilliant moves in the past. Um, including the Great American Bash, the War Games, and the list could go on and on. But the, my turn uh, was was him and Jimmy Crockett's idea. They left the decision up to me, but I thought to myself, you know, as much experience as Dusty had, and certainly Jim Crockett's family in the wrestling business, they knew a lot more than I did. I, I mean, I'm still not two and a half years into this thing, and. Um, and so, you know, we made the decision. I found out somebody had asked Dusty years later, prior to his passing, specifically when 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 we made that decision, did he know that it would that it would blow up like it did? And he said, no, he was none of us knew. I mean, it was a roll of the dice. None of us knew. I think I was perhaps, I don't know, the first Russian. Baby fate, right? The first Russian good guy, right? Yeah. You know, the, the Cold War epitome of evil and all of that, right? So anyway, um, and so we made that decision. We ran with it. And of course, you know, it it exploded and it was unbelievable. That's pretty cool. I know that uh, during those times, man, I look back at a lot of those matches and I wish a lot of times that the the sport could be what it was during that time. A lot of a lot of people do, Casey. A lot of people. I I still do a lot of autograph signings, legend signings, card shows, you know, virtual signings, and and I, over and over and over again. Yeah, the the fans that did just over they, that's just all they talk about. I wish, I wish it could be like that again. 
that's sometimes my kids they'll they'll want to watch they'll want to watch wrestling and and uh i'll say you know you can you can turn on the network and and if you'll turn something on from like the 80s or early 90s i'm all in but other than that i I'll sit here with you, but I'm not really paying attention. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a different product it, it, for real. And, and what I, how I summarize that, cause I get asked that question sometimes, how I summarize that is how I feel anyway, my view that back in those days, we had a lot of creative control as a wrestler in the ring and telling a story spontaneously in the ring. Right. And the word that we brought up earlier, psychology, played a major factor in, in how we presented the match and, and eventually leading into the outcome. Whereas, whereas my understanding now is, you know, there, there's writers that write the match and write the interview and, and do all that and, and taking nothing away from the athletes and the performers who go out and perform. But if the crowd's not buying into it, you're still essentially required to fulfill what's been written. And, and, and that's why you even see a different fan reaction in today's product versus the fan reaction you saw back in the eighties. Exactly. Taking the creative control and psychology doesn't play a factor any longer. I know there was a lot of times, you know, when I first started, I was, I was brought in uh, with the old, old school idea. And then, you know, I got around some guys and we got in this, uh, you know, what they call the spot fest mentality. And, you know, we wanted to plan out every punch, every kick, every look, everything. And right. Right. And, you know, I started traveling with uh, nightmare Ted Allen. Yeah. I'd traveled with him for, for a couple of months, but I had never actually worked with him in the ring. And uh, we were doing a show for Wild Samoan Sika in Florida. And they put me and Ted on against each other. And, and I'm like sweating. I'm like, okay, Ted, what are we going to do out there? He said, we're going to listen to the. <laughs> Wait, what was his answer? He said, we're going to listen to the people. Bam. Yeah. And so, you know, we got out there and, and he called the match, told me what to do. And, you know, since then, that's just the way I would much rather do it. And, and I've worked with so many guys since. And, you know, when they come and ask me the same questions, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? You know, sweating, you know, hey, music's about to hit. What are we doing? And, uh, and I'm like, hey, we'll, we'll call it out there. It'll be good. And then we come to the back and they're like, wow, I've never done that. That was so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, hello. Right. I mean, you know, it's kind of the, I mean, in one sense, I mean, and, and I know they're doing great business, you know, they do, I get it. I mean, they, you know, it's what it is today, but you know, it's almost like if it ain't broke, don't fix it, you know, kind of thing. Right. But one of the amazing things for about all that is, I mean, that was the, that was the fun part for me going out to be able to, to just spontaneously tell a story and listen to the crowd and draw them in to the story. Right. And and in fact, the old adage, I'm sure you probably were told this in those days, you, you, you alluded earlier to you call, I guess you, what'd you call it? Spot fest. Is that what you call it? Yeah. So so spot fest. And, and whereas, whereas in those days we, we were schooled to, to get the most, out of the least. There were moments we paused and took a breath, actually, 
you know, we'll call them a breathe moment, right? But what those were too was to give the fan the opportunity to actually comprehend what they just saw. Exactly. I mean, they do some of these guys do a hundred spots in three seconds, and 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 I'm watching it and I can't wrap my head around it. I'm like, how can a fan, if, if I'm smart, if I can't, you know, I, I and I get it again, I get it. The, the product is what it is today, but uh, but yeah, that was that's why that era was so much fun. So there's so much more that we could talk about at your first run here, but you ended up taking some time off to be with your first wife. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that? So, you know, while I was on the road wrestling, you know, she was 24. She got diagnosed with Hodgkin's uh, lymphoma cancer. And, and she made the decision to go through all the chemo radiation and went through all of that, lost her hair and weight and, the, you know, what, what comes along with all of that. And, and it went into remission, uh, but it wasn't long before it came back with even more of a vengeance. And, and when it did that, it was at that point that I made a decision to step away from wrestling. I told him, I said, look, I, I'll be back, but this is a priority. I mean, yes. It's my wife and, and she's got cancer. And so, so um, stepped away to take, take care of her. And, and, and unfortunately she passed at the age of 26. So she battled for about two years and, and it was really kind of my first lesson. I was some, I'm thinking I was maybe, maybe 30 ish uh, years old. And, and uh, it was really my first close encounter with, with the brevity of life, yeah. just how short life can really be. I mean, she was only 26, right? And and so it, it didn't draw me to the foot of the cross yet, but it did uh, nudge me along the way. Looking back, it nudged me along the way. Yeah, and uh, I'd like to reference you. You mentioned that, and and I was going to refer to uh, the podcast episode that you did on that, and I think that's what you titled it, right? Yeah, I go into kind of more detail, more more full detail on, on that, and and I know that podcast has really ministered to a, a lot of people. They've come back and said, "Wow, that really you know really touched my heart," or really, yeah, you know, I was been going through a struggling time, or that that helped me, or so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of your podcast that, and I I didn't even know you know I had deleted my social media for a while. Uh, for a couple of years. And then I just recently got back on Twitter and, uh, you know, reconnected with you and, and noticed that you were doing a podcast now, the man up podcast. And yeah. they're uh, just for my listeners out there. Everybody needs to check it out because there are several episodes on there uh, that have really been a blessing to me that I've enjoyed uh, the stories. And uh, like you said, a lot of them have ministered to me. So I definitely recommend your podcast. I, I appreciate it. And there's a variety just for, just for your listeners. There's a variety. I mean, I, of course I do have, like I have I, some great interviews. I feel like with sting uh, Lex Luger, Magnum TA Jackson Riker, who's currently on Monday night raw. Yeah. And, and even beyond that, there's some, Wonderful stories of I got husbands and wives on there, you know, who just out out in the marketplace. You know, there are people, guys in ministry. So it's a whole variety of of people that I talk with. And uh, so I'm certain there's probably uh, in fact, just for the Easter weekend, I did a special Easter show 
just for the Easter weekend, kind of given some of the history on Easter. And I had people going, man, I didn't know, I didn't know half of that stuff about Easter, you know? So yeah, just, I just having fun with it. And I, but I appreciate that. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Well, we thank you for doing it. And uh, so you take the time to be with your wife and then she uh, eventually passes. Um, did you call WCW or was it, was it still, did Crockett still have it at the time that you come back? No, it was WCW. Turner, Turner had already bought it. Turner had owned it when I, when I told him I was, I was stepping away. They, uh, you know, it's corporate America and how, how can wrestling not be your top priority, but wow. it's what it is, right? Uh, it, it's, it's the marketplace. But um, no, I did not call them. In fact, uh, Flair, Rick Flair had the book at that. He was the booker at the time. And it probably wasn't a week after she passed and he was calling me, like mm. for real. You know, he invited me down to his house in Charlotte and we had lunch poolside. And, and um, uh, I'm probably one of, if not the only, perhaps, I don't know. Maybe we'll never know. Uh, one of the only guys to, to turn down uh, the world heavyweight title, he offered me the title. He said, man, if you'll come back, we, we need you. You'll come back. I'll put the strap on you. I'll put the belt on you. And I'm like, yeah, man, Rick, I don't, I don't know. He goes, no, for real, you know? And, and, and I go, I'll, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll give it some thoughts, Rick. And, and, and I thought about it. I'm like, ah, I think, you know, I think I'll pass. And he called me a few weeks later, invited me down his house again. And, you pitched me a second time. So I guess you might technically, I not only turned it down once, I turned it down twice, but uh, just, just was and, and no regrets, you know, because people say, don't you wish you'd ever won the world title? And some don't even know that it was offered to me and that I turned it down. When they hear that, they're like, wow, that's crazy, dude. But because they're like, I, I know guys who, you know, who would work for free just to be able to put that belt, you know, right. belt around the place. But anyway, so so, but I eventually, once I kind of went, you know, through a grieving process, I, I eventually did go back, debuted in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, by hitting uh, the total package, Lex Luger up, upside the head with the U.S. belt. That was my debut back. So you came back and, and the, the story was you, uh, you were mad because Luger had stolen the title from you, correct? Correct. He did. <laughs> He cheated. Not that I have. Did I ever cheat? I don't, well, maybe I haven't cheated. I never cheated. Um, he, yeah. JJ Dillon threw him the chair and he whacked me in the cage in Greensboro. And that's right. So I had a, uh, what, what do they call that? I had a, um, a score to settle. I guess that's what you, I had a score to settle with Luger. So now there, you go on for another couple of years there with WCW. What are, what are some of your thoughts about, WCW during that time, management and talent wise. Ooh, it was, it was a different business. Um, you know, it, it shifted and I, I noticed it was shifting prior to my leaving and cause it shifted from a mom and pop family owned business, the Crockett family who had had it about 55 or so years to corporate America. And it just became a chapter in Ted Turner's portfolio. And then he hired a bunch of guys I mean, guys who knew how to make pizzas, but I was not convinced they knew how to how to run a wrestling company. But it's the, it was I just say that it, it was the good old boy system, yeah. And that's who was running the company, and even some of the things they were doing, even the time between my going back, you know, some of the characters and some of the stuff that I'm like, that makes no sense. It just stuff made no sense to me. 
And then, and then once I got back, they were convinced I could be a heel again. And they're like, no, we'll put you against Luger because, you know, he's, he's a hot baby face. I'm like, okay, okay. But the thing with Magnum and teaming up with Dusty got over so strong as the superpowers. I told him, I go, I, I, all right, if that's what you're convinced. Well, it, it, it kind of got over. It was 50-50. Mm-hmm. He and I would for the U.S. belt and 50% would cheer for me and 50% would cheer for him. They said, okay, well, we'll put you with Sting. He's our hottest baby thing. And that's where the, we did the thing in St. Pete where I went for Luger, he ducks, and I hit Sting. And then that, that creates an angle with Sting, right? And it was about 75-25. And they're like, man, I go, I t- look, I tried to tell you. And I took a little time off there. And technically, I, had, I was without a contract. So I, I said, I'll be back whenever you figure, figure out my contract. And then when I came back for my final run, that's where I, I made the appeal to Sting with, with my little Stinger, uh, who was my oldest daughter, by the way. Um, now, honey, make sure when I say, who's your favorite wrestler, you don't say daddy. Make sure, make, make sure you say <laughs> And I had her face all painted up, you know. Anyway, that's where I made the appeal to Sting. We hugged and kissed and made up. And, and then I finished my career, you know, partnering with him and, and, and several other guys before I walked away. But, but that's it on that note. From that point, I, I mean, they were just throwing me in random matches. I mean, they threw me in a cage match against Rick Rude in Minneapolis. With, there was no angle. They're just like, oh, this will draw. I'm like, there's no angle. Hmm. You know, they, they threw me with Van Vader, Big Van Vader. They were just throwing me in matches that, that made no, just made no sense and therefore drew no money. Right. JC, there would be – I would get there and look at the card, and they would change about three or four of the matches from what was advertised, but all the same guys would be there. I'm like, they're here. You advertise him against him. Why are you putting out him against him and him against him? I mean, it was just like, oh, Lord. You know, anyway. (laughs) Yeah, it was – looking back, it's almost like I could say I I saw the right now. You know, of course, they went on with Monday Night Wars and all that, but it's almost like, man, almost like writing's on the wall for this company. So – you end up walking away. What was it uh, during that time that made you go ahead and decide that you were going to retire? My goal as a child, growing up, kind of falling in love with weightlifting and bodybuilding and football, you know, it was, it was kind of a pet peeve of mine. I, I, would, I would watch these athletes who would seem like would hang around past their prime. Right. And so I said, when I make it, now in those days, I was thinking to be pro football. I was thinking, you know, I'm going to have this great career in pro football, but I'm going to walk away on top. I'm not going to change to 12, 10 different teams and, and whatever. Right. I'm going to have run, be on top, and walk away. And when I got into wrestling, I literally, literally told Don and Ivan that for two weeks, I'll be out of active wrestling, in, in ring wrestling by the time I'm 35. And so when I got injured in my last match against Vader, it was not career ending, but I'm rehabilitating my neck from, from an injury from him. And I, then I realized the next day I had a, ended up having a hernia, you know, 450, 500 pound guy. I had a, a, a legit hernia surgery. So I'm rehabbing my neck, recovering from the hernia surgery. I'm like, man, it's Thanksgiving, Christmas. I'm going to be 34 years old soon i'm like i'm done so my goal was 35 
I beat it by a, year, a little over a year plus. You know, I was only 33, the prime of a wrestling career, right? right. And, and I walked away, kind of coined for the football fan out there, I've been coined the Barry Sanders of pro wrestling or the Wayne Gretzky of hockey, if you will. Yeah. So you leave wrestling now. Give me your testimony. What, what brought you uh, to, to the altar? Yes. So I actually write about it in, in, in uh, a little bit about it. One of the, one of the chapters of my book, I, I've got, I've, I've written three. I've got two available on my website right now. One's motivational, one's inspirational, one's my life story. The other one's just a very, a very motivational, challenging book. Um, they're, they're, they're on my website. Uh, but it, the chapter in there is, is uh, from, from success to fulfillment. So I leave wrestling. Um, I'm on this quest of what life holds next for Nikita Koloff. And I come to the conclusion, Casey, that I'm successful in, in many people's eyes. You know, I had this stellar career, you know, multiple world titles around my waist, traveled around the world and places I never dreamed I'd ever, ever go. And yet I'm unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this it? That's all there is. And, and I'd met a Christian couple through other business, um, business ventures I was involved in. And, and they had invited me to church. And I didn't grow up in church. If your listeners hadn't figured it out by now, I also didn't grow up in Russia. Okay? <laughs> just, just officially. But, but I didn't grow up in church. I'd heard the stories about Jesus. I mean, I'd heard the stories. I, I just wasn't living for them. And so they had invited me. And, and I, I one day I just said, hey, I'll, I'll be there Sunday. I accepted their invitation. And that very first service in that church, um, you know, I sensed something different walking in. And when it came time for what, what would be called an altar call, you know, an invitation to surrender your life to Jesus, that was an aha moment. I'm like, that's what's missing in my life is a relationship with Jesus. This man's talking about a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't have that. At best, I have a little head knowledge of who he is. And so I was first to the altar on my knees. And I can honestly say that day upon making that decision, you know, just receiving Jesus into my life, that sense of where there was once unfulfillment, instantaneously, there was this sense of fulfillment. Also, I'm like, it's just hard to even explain it. But it was like, oh, my gosh, I'm like that, that it just went the unfulfilled feeling went away. And little did I know. And I mean, since that time, Casey, it's been even more of a whirlwind of a journey. I mean, from traveling now to a total of 30 different countries, preaching in 1200 plus or minus churches, Lex Luger and I facilitate a, a camp called Man Camp. I do conferences called Man Up. I got the podcast, a weekly radio show. I've written books. I'm like, this, this is unbelievable. I never would have dreamed this in a million years that I'd be doing what I'm doing. Uh, it, it's just, it's surreal in a sense. I can definitely relate. Uh, you know, I used to be one who, who would say, you know, I'm, I'm never getting married. Um, and, you know, I, on the other hand, did grow up in church, but um, and I had my religious experiences, but I never had that desire to become a new creation. 
until I was 26 years old. And I had that radical encounter with Jesus and transformed from then on. Um, But I can definitely relate because, you know, if you would have told me 15 years ago that I was going to be standing in churches or even in wrestling rings and, and preaching the gospel of Jesus to people, I would have said, you are crazy. (laughs) <laughs> right. Right. What, what are you smoking? What are you on? Right. I mean, like, yeah, like, you know, for, like for real, like, yeah, I get it. So we can, we, we can relate. I, I did an interview real quick. It ties into this somewhat, you know, you use the word religious, religious experiences. I interviewed a pastor, actually my, my, my youngest daughter, Colby's pastor, um, Jeremy on my podcast. And he was, check this out. He's fourth generation ministry. Four generations. I mean, his great grandfather planted churches in Pageland, South Carolina, and Lincolnton, North Carolina. You know, through the Carolinas. His grandfather, his dad was a preacher. His brothers a preacher. His, his sisters a professor at Liberty. And and I'm having lunch with him one day. He goes, "Yeah." He goes, "I go, man, tell me your story." So he's telling me all this. But then he goes, "Yeah, I was a professional uh, pastor for 13 years." He goes, "I go, wait. You just said you've been pastoring for 25." He goes, yeah, but I was a professional for 13. I go, explain that to him. He goes, well, one till 12 years ago that, that God revealed to me that I had religion, but I had no relationship. I had not yet encountered Jesus. Exactly. And, and then on the podcast, he took it a step further and even talks about not only professional pastors, but professional Christians. Mm-hmm. Those religious experience, a religious experience but maybe have yet to have that encounter that you just talked about at age 26 that happened for me at age 34. Right. I just, uh, we were just uh, discussing that actually on last week's episode uh, of our podcast of I've known pastors, uh, Sunday school teachers and, you know, worship leaders just like that, who maybe they taught in church for years, uh, but never truly uh, were born surrendered. Yes. Yeah. Never, never really surrendered. Right. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I always tell people there's absolutely nothing wrong with examining yourself and admitting, okay, I have never truly been born again. Well, and, and, or even if you have been born again, examine yourself often, Right. Don't get so prideful to think you'll never slip or you, you can't slip and fall because you, you, you surely can. You're human. So we, that's where we need to keep our guard up. You know, the, I mentioned the man camp that Lex and I co-facilitate. I can't tell you. I've facilitated about, about 60 of them over the last 15 years. And I want to tell you right now, many of the guys who attend are, are, are churchgoers or grew up in church or around or whatever. I can't even begin to tell you, Casey, how many guys at camp realized that the same thing we're talking about, they had no relationship with Jesus. God reveals that to them at camp. And I can't even tell you how many salvations we've had at camp with guys who grew up in church or went to Christian school or their parents were Christian, but they're just kind of living off riding the coattails there. Right. Right. And a a lot of times the ones who have religion are the the hardest ones to reach uh, because they think, Hey, I've already got it. Interesting. What you say, say what you just said again, the guys who are religious are the hardest ones to reach, right? Yes. 
Okay, pause. Jesus is walking the earth. Who were the hardest ones to reach? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the, uh, the, the religious, the religious ones who, who studied the Bible, who spent hours in the synagogues, hardest ones to reach. And that, that is so true. The ones who have, in a sense, grown up in church, not, a, not across the board, not lumping them all together, right. but many, many, many times, to your point, they're the hardest ones to reach. Exactly. That's, you know, I said the prayer when I was 14, but then, you know, lived like hell for the next 12 years and, and thought I was going to heaven. And uh, that's where I think that's a ploy of the enemy. Mm-hmm. I think that's a ploy of the enemy, a ploy of Satan. They say, oh, you, you remember when you were seven, you prayed that prayer. You're good. You, you got your ticket into heaven. You're exactly. good. Now, go your life, however you want to live it. I, I, I think that's a subtle ploy the enemy and has many people duped by that. I, I definitely do too. I definitely do. Uh, and that's why, you know, whenever I am uh, sharing Jesus with somebody, if I get the opportunity to pray with them or to, uh, you know, lead them to the Lord, I tell them, listen, saying this prayer is not going to save you. Uh, you can say this a million times over, but unless you truly believe it with your heart, uh, heart of hearts. Exactly. Then then you're just saying words and it's not doing anything for you. Well, in, fa- in fact, Romans 10, 9 says that believe with your heart, you confess with your mouth and you believe with your heart. And I do the same thing. Okay? I'm like, look, this prayer has to come from the heart. It can It cannot, as you just said, cannot just be words. It has to come from the depth of down in your nowhere, down deep is where this prayer has to come from. And, and if you're praying, and, and there's no cookie cutter prayer. So if you're just praying from the heart, God will recognize that, acknowledge that and accept that and receive that. So exactly. I heard a pastor say one time and it, it really stuck with me. You know, I believe that, it, you know, it's good if you want to say a form of the sinner's prayer, you know, whatever, however, but one of the things that he mentioned that really stuck out to me is he said, one of the most effective prayers is just Jesus. I can't, you can help <laughs> and, and Good. truly mean it with your heart. Well, I want to take one step further where I, where, since we're kind of on, on this vein here, thief on the cross. So we just celebrated Jesus resurrection recently, right? Right. The resurrection of Jesus. And, and if I'm not mistaken, there was one on the cross that said, please remember me when you come into your paradise. And he responded and said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. That's right. There was, To my knowledge, I wasn't there, but to my knowledge, at least it wasn't recorded in the Bible. He didn't say, okay, we well, got to say this prayer first, and then, then you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say that, nor did they baptize him in water either. Exactly. He, he saw the man's heart. Yes. And today you'll be with me in paradise. Powerful. Exactly right. Um, so you mentioned that uh, now, even though early 90s 
you went back and uh, you were mad at Lex Luger because he had stolen your United States Championship. Now you and Lex are doing some tag team uh, in ministry uh, with the man camp. And, and that's something that I've been wanting to talk to you about. Exactly what do you guys do and when do they take place? So, yeah, it's 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 been amazing. Again, amazing, you know, in April 23rd, 2006, you know, Lex had his encounter where he was, as he says, power washed from the inside out um, after his last stint in jail. And the jail chaplain led him, you know, to the foot of the cross. And a couple months later, he and I were reconnected after 11 years. And I began to mentor and disciple him. And we began to do some ministry together in churches. He'd share his testimony. I- I'd preach. We do a lot. We did a lot of that. 2015, he lived with me for about 10 months. During that time, we it was birthed the vision for a, a a man a conference and a camp. So I do the conference predominantly, just called the Man Up Conference, uh, and and do it in local churches for the community. And I do I've I've already done six in twenty twenty one already. I'll probably do another ten more Man Up conferences, and then we do two camps currently: one in the spring, one in the fall. And I think we guys adding up today. I think we've got. Guys flying in and driving in, I think, from 10 different states to come to the spring camp. That's great. We do them in a town called Royston, Georgia. We rent a property down there uh, from Jerome Stratton, and it's about 100 acres. And we spend five days. Yep, you heard me right. Five days and put men in, in a place where they can just run after the heart of God. And, and for many men, it's about the only time they'd ever do anything like that. You know, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll go hunting Bambi for five days. They'll go deep sea fishing for five days. And it's funny to challenge them to come and spend five days chasing the heart of God. Man, it's like pulling, it's like a dentist pulling teeth. <laughs> for, the men, for the men who commit and the men who come, invariably, m- many of them, I won't say all of them, encounter the creator of the universe in ways they never have before. And it's men about from 18 and older. older Men of all ages, all variety. Last year, we had a 73-year-old retired pastor who was there. This year, this spring, we'll have a guy who lost a leg in a motorcycle wreck. So he's only got one leg. And, and what we do, Casey, is, is it's centered around uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which talks about being whole in spirit, soul, and body. What Lex and I do is we combine all of our years of experience from, you know, from, from being a champion in the ring and, 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 and in athletics you know, developing a championship mentality to, so having the right attitude, the right mindset, a healthy mind, you know, healthy emotions, um, spiritually healthy. We combine our journeys together for, you know, and chasing after the Lord ourselves, um, physically healthy. So we talk about that at camp, what it looks like to honor God with your body, with your temple. And our goal, our goal for all your lady listeners out there, Ladies, if this appeals to you, our goal is to send your man home better equipped to be a godly man, a godly husband, and a godly father. And I like to say, if that appeals to you, give them your blessing. They're more likely to register and come if they have your blessing. But that's what Man Camp's all about. We'll do another one in the fall. Um, And uh, this one, I think this one in the spring is full. But we'll do another one in the spring. We limit it. We limit it to a, a small group of guys, so it's it's more intimate. Right. But it's possible, man. We're not too far from you guys. In fact, we got a guy from Chattanooga coming. 
Okay. Um, yeah. So we're yeah, Royston, uh, Royston, George is probably probably a couple hours from from you guys in Cleveland. So, well, I'll definitely uh, I'll definitely need to check get it out the dates for the next ones because I'd love to uh, I'd love to come and be involved. That would be a, a great time. Yeah, you'll you'll be you'll be blessed, Casey. Like for real. I mean, you you will you will be blessed. You will be blessed. And, and if people want to know, you know, if your listeners want to know more about that, I mean, there's just one website where you can, where they can go to koloff.net, koloff.net. They can go there and they can link to the man camp and, and learn more about it. They can link right to the podcast and subscribe and, and, and download and subscribe to the podcast all right there on koloff.net. Okay, great. Well, I was gonna I was gonna ask you uh, how people could get in touch with you uh, if they wanted you to come and preach at their church or or uh, yeah autograph signings or whatever. Yep, and they do that right through right through the website as well. Of course, follow me on social media, Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, um, and uh, and there's a store there too. The two books I referenced, uh, you know, they can purchase the books right right through the store on the website as well. That is great. What. Uh, uh, I had a, a, a fan, uh, another fan question here that uh, is there one guy you didn't get to wrestle, but you would have liked to? I mean, there's probably, you know, when you think about it, I mean, it's probably several, um, you know, it probably would have been fun. You know, back in the day, the magazines really touted the, you know, Koloff versus Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania, right? That was a big deal for, for a while back in the eighties. And, and, you know, it, it, it probably, it would have, it would have not probably, it would have been fun to wrestle Hogan and, and whether it's a WrestleMania or not. Um, but there's several guys, Shawn Michaels, the rock. I mean, there, there's a few guys that would have liked to have perhaps, you know, gotten the ring and, and, and scrapped with. Yeah. All right. Well, um, do you have anything else that uh, you would like to say before we wrap this up? Well, I just, uh, I just appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and share some of my story and, you know, help, uh, you know, just spread the word, right. We're, we're teaming up together tonight, uh, or, you know, to, to put this broadcast together, to put this podcast together, to ultimately get, get the word spread, the word of God and appreciate what you do. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. I hope all your, your listeners will be, uh, We'll be blessed by the interview and, and just, you know, like I say, just check me out on social media and check out the website and, and uh, maybe for your men listeners out there, maybe I'll also meet one of them face to face at man camp one day as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, we thank you very much for joining us. It was an honor to have you. I really enjoyed the conversation. Like I say with everybody, there's so much that we could continue talking. Uh, I, I feel like I could I could probably sit down with you for days and talk about Jesus. And uh, so mm. maybe a part two in the future sometime down the road. But but I really appreciate uh, you spending time with us. We 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 uh, we can do part two in the, in the future. I'd be happy to do that. And and when you come to Man Camp in the fall, guess what? We'll have days to sit down and talk about Jesus. That's great. That's awesome. Great. All right. Thank you, sir. God bless. All right. God bless you and all, all your listeners out there. Thanks, Casey. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Wrestling for the Faith with Casey Cage. Sponsorship opportunities are available. Contact us at wrestlingforthefaith at gmail.com for more information. 